Welcome to the Halloween Unleashed Podcast. Does your friend or family or even yourself own your own small business? Or do you work for a company that is constantly struggling with marketing and figuring out ways, trying to figure out how to keep the doors open, bring in more business, or simply just grow sales? Listen. I know finding the customers you need online can be overwhelming. The customers are out there, but what is the best way to reach them? It's not enough to just build a website and hope that they will come. If you're searching for a proven digital expert to help you find new customers, get existing customers to buy from you more often, Dotcom Media is here to help. Their team has years of experience and proven history of helping businesses fuel their growth through multiple channels and multiple strategies. They'll do all the hard work of attracting new customer leads for your business. Then you can focus on making your business extraordinary. If you would like a quick demonstration of all the different types of services that .com Media does, Go to dot-commedia.com, that's dot-commedia.com, and check out all of their services. And mention Halloween Unleashed when you're booking your appointment and receive 20% off any service. You can't lose. This is your bedroom. This is your bedroom with Blue Chew. Blue Chew uses the same active ingredients as in Viagra or Cialis, but now comes in chewable form. Chewable means better, cheaper, and works faster than pills. I've tried Cialis, I've tried Viagra. Blue Chew works the best, it's a fraction of the cost. The Blue Chew's definitely gotten the job done. No in-person doctor visit, no waiting in line, no more awkwardness. Order online to get your first month free. I want my girlfriend to want me, and with Blue Chew, she really does. Blue Chew is the future of manhood. Go to bluechew.com and restart the party. Or call 800-232-8803. 800-232-8803. This is the Halloween Unleashed Podcast. Featuring the cutting room floor. And now, here are your hosts for the week. Welcome, everybody, to Halloween Unleashed I am your host, Chris Morgan, and this marks part four of Daniel Farrens, the writer from Halloween 6, and um, I originally thought this was going to be a three, maybe even four-part episode miniseries, but by golly, it's going to be five. So uh, we're going to air this week's, obviously, and then next week, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, This week, man... I tell you, it 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 is really, really getting deep into the woods here um, with all the problems. I mean, last week we, we left you with the cliffhanger that um, there was no producers. I mean, that, that that was literally it. Everybody packed up and they left. And then it uh, this week we get into uh, what that was like for the cast and obviously for the crew. That obviously there was. You had the Akkads versus Dimension. How the dynamic between Daniel Farrens and Joe Chappelle changed. And uh, more importantly, uh, we're going to talk about what the impact was in on the loss of Dr. Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance, 
um, who died on February 2nd, 1995. We're going to cover all that today. Now, how about that bonus six minute, 30 second bonus episode last week that we threw you a curveball? Nobody saw it coming. You know, you got your Daniel Farron's part three in the morning. I'm like, cool, we're going to we're going to talk to everybody next week. And then all of a sudden, Kara Strode herself, Marianne Hagen, who is quickly becoming one of my favorite people that I've had the opportunity to get to know. I mean, she is just, you know, if I, I got so many emails last week saying, my goodness, she sounds like she is just a lot of fun and that she's just a sweetheart. Believe me, she is the same person, if not more, when the recording is not rolling. Uh, she is just an absolute sweetheart, full of positivity, just a a beautiful soul, and I can't say enough good things about her as a person. Uh, everybody already knows how I feel about this movie and how I feel about the people in it. Um, I'm be quickly becoming friends with a lot of people that were involved with it, obviously. As I'm recording this, Marianne and I have been talking, and uh, looks like we're going to record tonight, February 28th. Um, it's not going to air next week. Obviously, we have the Daniel Farren's Part 5 finale. And then um, we're probably going to air Dylan's Cutting Room Floor episode the week after. So in two weeks' time, uh, we will start the, the series for Marianne. A lot of people asked a lot of questions, which is great. Um, and I honestly, I couldn't be more thrilled. Now about the poster situation that Marianne, Marianne and I dropped last week. Um, yeah, that is still in process. Um, I am at a point right now where um, Ryan Hogel, the graphic artist, has been tied up busy this week. He is making some final tweaks and changes to, uh, to the poster to get it perfect and just right for us. I am going to uh, hand that over to our graphics department in my marketing company that uh, we do all our printing through for our clients' uh, restaurants who, who need menus and different things and billboards and things printed. Um, I'm going to run all of the, all the prints through that so that we can keep the costs low. That is why I want to go through my uh, .com media business so that we can print it uh, the highest quality, cheap for the consumer, and uh, give you and we can give you guys the best price. Uh, still working out um, how many copies we're going to print, so that's why I can't announce a price yet. Because as you know, as you print more, price goes down. So um, right now we have several people that are just extremely excited about it. I'm extremely excited about it. Marianne's extremely excited about it. For those that uh, that are probably wondering, yes, Dylan is not here this week. I had some. Uh, I was on full time dad duty uh, this week, and uh, I gotta tell you, Wednesday night we were supposed to record. Um, I was not feeling it. I was wore out. I was tired. On top of it, uh, Thursday night had to take care of some uh, some personal things, and here I am Friday morning. I'm actually recording this as we speak. Um, it is 4.45 a.m. 
And I went to bed at 1241 last night. That's when I laid down. So, um, and I've been up since about four. So, um, I didn't sleep a whole lot. Uh, we've got a lot of news coming. Um, and I, I, I can't, man, I am just holding myself back from spilling what, uh, what is being worked on, but, uh, I'm going to save that. Now I've had a lot of people ask, Chris, you're talking about all these downloads that you have all over the place. You know, what's the most downloaded uh, platform that people are using? Where, where are the, where's the audience coming from? Well, because we are, we are using all of these different uh, listening platforms uh, and things have gotten so nice and complex with the ratings, uh, we're able to lock down geographic location. So um, 42% is using Apple Podcasts, which is the biggest platform out there. 15% is using Spotify. 8% is using the Anchor app. 6% is uh, Google Podcasts. 6% is going to Stitcher. Uh, 5% is going to CastBox. Uh, Podcast Addict, which is an app that I love and that I use. But uh, since I switched to an iPhone last year, I, I, I'm using Apple Podcasts because I like it. But there's certain podcasts that aren't available on Apple, so I, I use Podcast Addict to get what's out there that I still listen to. Uh, Podcast Addict is drawing 4%. Uh, Overcast is getting 2%. And then 12% is Other in the category of Other. So... I know that we are uh, available on every platform pretty much out there. If not, you just heard several of them right there that you can go to. Now, 85% of our listeners is right here in the United States. Uh, we uh, have 6% in Canada, 2% in the United Kingdom, 1% in Ireland. Thank you, Ireland. Thank you, UK. Thank you, Canada. Um, we have 1% in Norway. Thank you, Norway. 1% in Germany, thank you. Uh, we have 1% out in Australia. We have 1% in India, which is, that's really cool. Um, we have 1% in the Isle of Man. Um, that is that is awesome. We have 1% in the Saudi Arabia. We have 1% in Japan. For all my mask hobbyists out there, I wonder who that is. Um, we have 1% in Italy. 1% in Sweden, I think I, I know who that is, 1% in Greece, 1% in Netherlands, 1% in Thailand, um, we have 1% in Croatia, 1% in Denmark, 1% in South Africa, and 1% in Egypt. We thank all of our countries that, that, are, that are tuning in uh, each and every single week. Without you guys, this would not be possible. This podcast has grown exponentially since uh, January of 2019. And here we are just about to roll into March. This is the last day of the month of February of 2020. And here we are, man, you know, 800 to 1500 downloads per week on average. There's some episodes that are, that are higher, obviously um, like the Dan Farron series is, is, trailing between that 1500 2000 download range uh the first episode is up to 2237 so i mean that's that's awesome you know so there's a lot of growth in this podcast and that i'm extremely thankful for
and uh, all of you have made that possible. And I couldn't be more proud of where we are. Looking forward to see where where we end up a year from now. But a lot of really, really positive things are happening in the landscape of Halloween Unleashed. And uh, I am just so, so thrilled. So thanks, thank you to each and every single one of you. Again, this today is Daniel Farron's part four. Um, and we are going to have some major fun. So if you, if you like what you've heard so far, stay tuned. We'll be back with Daniel Farron's part four right after this short break. You're listening to Halloween Unleashed. Death cleared out. And that was and, control of Miramax. And it was basically like, and then Miramax people, like within an hour, were taking over those jobs. Oh, man. And they were basically like, not us, but to the Miramax press, it was like, see you in court. That was, was kind of what was going on. Oof. We will, we'll fight this out in court. I mean, talking about being uncomfortable. Um, it was bad. Now, <laughs> it was bad. And I, Cat- in a way, I feel bad for Joe at that point, too, because I know, like, here he was trying to, like, oh, we're going to get a chance to fix some of the stuff. We're going to go back. And, and in my mind, I was like, oh, we're going we're gonna to do something that's kind of closer to the original script that I envisioned. We'll fix some of these stupid moments. And well, that's not what they did. No. Um, and we'll definitely get there. But uh, what was the what was the morale of the cast and crew like between the Salt Lake City stuff that ended up being being the producer's cut? And mm. obviously, like, when did things start to go south and you saw the mood start to change with people? Um, so I remember we, you know, they finished, they did the producer's cut. We screened it. We screened it in L.A. for like a cast and crew screening. And I just remember feeling like, oh, gosh, it's not good. It's not good. It's, it doesn't hit the beats. It's, 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 it falls apart at the end. There's no real ending to this movie. And it all just sort of feels rushed. And like, there's no tension, you know? And I just, I was like, I missed all of the stuff that I had had in my head as the writer and how these scenes were going to be done. And just, you know, for whatever reason, they weren't either shot that way or there was no time to shoot them the right way or whatever was the case, but it just didn't work. And I think everybody walked out of that screen knowing it didn't work. And then I think like a few days later, they screened it. I think this infamous people know about this test screening they supposedly did in New York City or somewhere in the Bronx or wherever, and for a group of kind of inner city kids who just were like, this movie sucks. Yeah, like- that, that, that's what I was, I, I was going to get to that in just a minute. Um, you know, uh, but I, I want to hang on this for just a second, uh, because okay. it, this kind of, this kind of flows here. Um, so when people started to see this or in the cast started to see this go south and, you know, over the years, like you and I were, were talking about this in email and we were going to talk mm-hmm. about it here on the air. This leads right, right into, um, you know, fans who've hated part six and of course critics put a ton of the story problems and the problems with that movie based on the script. And what many mm-hmm. do not know is that you were, you were hired to deliver them a draft and then basically things were being rewritten on, on, on screen, which you've just covered that were right. not your own words being used. Right. And there was not your scenes. And I get into it uh, whenever there's a Halloween six 
debate and, and trolls want to attack me to fire me up because they know that I love that movie. Um, mm-hmm. And they will always say, how can you... Yeah, but they but they but they will say to me, "How can you defend that movie and its flaws uh, only because you're friends with Dan Farrens and oh, okay, well. you know and <laughs> how can you defend Michael raping his niece?" And, and, oh. and I, I simply say, "I don't defend that if that's if that's what it was. I don't like right. it either." But let me ask you this: Was your mm-hmm. original vision? Was this your original vision or? Another not producer director no, decision. No, no, um, not at all. Uh, and it's it's amazing to me that people, I guess, having seen the producers cut, and there's this sort of implication that there's like a ritual where Michael Myers is stripping his niece, um, which was never intended. If I, remember, I go back to the very beginning when I pitched this movie, and I said it's like Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. When I pitched it, most of us. So I always envisioned the sequence that I don't know if you've ever seen Rosemary's Baby or seen it in a while. There is a sequence where Rosemary is is drugged, and there's this weird Polanski esque, uh, <laughs> very Polanski because he he made it. He you know it's it's these very surreal images of you know a, what seems to be some sort of occult ritual, but it's sort of interspersed with things of her on a boat or in the ocean, and there's just it's like you're in a dream. You're in this kind of weird fugue dream state. And I always envisioned this sequence to be like that. Not that Michael Myers is literally impregnating his niece, but that the evil that lives within him is being put into her. Transferred to her, yeah. The mask is an emblem of of the evil that lives within Michael, and that's what that's supposed to mean. She's being infected with the evil that is the shape, that is that unnameable... um, force of of nature that has driven him all these years and now it's being passed along to her which i felt like the hints of that were in halloween 4 anyway so i never thought of it as a literal rape as much as a kind of more symbolic like now you're being groomed to this to this next you're going to carry the next child of of that will carry on this evil this curse so to me that's what it was more about it wasn't about a you know an incest kind of situation or an incest scene. I, I, I didn't even think about that, not even for a minute. Well, I mean, you you know what the original stuff was. And I, I got to be honest with you, even as your friend, um, when when I watched it um, in the producer's cut, you saying that mm-hmm. like the way it came came across was not its intention. But I got to right. say, with her laying up there in total white, looking innocent, with her legs spread, chain, chain, to the, chain to the thing, and then all of a sudden you see him walking up and she goes, Uncle Michael, please don't hurt me. Don't oh, hurt God. Me. Oh, yeah. God, please. You know, and at that point, yeah. it's like it really leaves you to think that that's what that scene was going to be. Well, I think that's the way they ended up shooting it, but that's not the way I, I as the writer, sure. conceived it to be. I thought it was much more of a metaphorical nightmare sequence than it was a literal you know rape and certainly not incest kind of a thing where it was like oh we're gonna you know i i mean that's pretty twisted shit but i i didn't think of it that way and didn't write it that way that was a that was the weinstein's decision wasn't it? i'm i'm kidding no, don't, answer, don't answer that don't answer that i don't know i wasn't there <laughs> when they shot it that. actually you know what though i think it's kind of a cool looking it's a kind of a cool looking sequence i don't dislike the photography yeah no thing. it was yeah um I just, I just remember thinking this is too literal. You're trying to make this more, you're trying to explain to me 
this is what it is. And I just think I always I go with what John Carpenter said. He created the character. So to me, it's like he is the wind. He is that faceless something of evil that walks amongst us and is going to kill you. <laughs> and that's it. You know, it, it, and there is. And why does he continue to live? Why does it, maybe there is something to this generational thing or a curse that's sort of lived in the bloodline. I thought that was interesting to investigate it and to sort of tap into it, but not to go all out and say, oh, it's, you know, to give it all these kind of like weird rules. Um, I I just didn't think we needed to go that far. But again, I just, it could have been like the studio notes or there were other writers writing behind me, especially during those reshoots. Um, I would, you know, pages were just being flung around that I had no idea who even wrote that. Um, so yeah, there was just, there was that kind of, you know, it was just movie by committee at that point. And it was disappointing because I just felt like there was a better version to make it more subtle and, um, yeah. not to kind of hammer the audience with stuff that's just weird. And, um, I just don't, you know, again, I, I didn't recognize the, the whole, I, I didn't even get the whole incest part of it, honestly, until fans started sort of complaining about it. And I'm like, what, what, are, you, what are they talking about? Well, <laughs> like, I can't wait I for like, them oh, to I hear this. I cannot wait for them to hear this because I can say, look, from the man himself in your face. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't, you know, it's just, again, one of those things where you don't, um, you don't have the control over it. You know, there's a lot of other, you know, cooks in the kitchen that are making calls, you know, sometimes even on the, on the spot, you know, they'll shoot a version of it. It's like, well, in this one, you know, let's have her, you know, lay there and be sexual or let's, in this one, let's have her say something that's going to explain all of it. it it could have just been a thing that they just threw a line out there and it just got shot and they tried it and they you know it stuck um maybe i don't know she just, i wasn't you know maybe she know. just wanted to know what was behind that mask you know ah, maybe. <laughs> like the girl on the phone you know? that's what i'm yeah that was a total like right. yeah all yeah, right yeah. so let's let's move on um you know let's you had mentioned it earlier about the 14 year old boy test audience Marion Hagen oh, I talked right. about it on the Halloween 25 years of terror why mm-hmm. do you think that 14 year old boys were chosen for a test screening uh, of Halloween well, 6 again I think everybody's taking that pretty literally I don't know that it was all 14 year old boys I think there were young kids in the audience but yeah I think that we're talking about a demographic of of young inner city kids that were invited to see a early cut of the movie and their reaction was not favorable. It was right. anything but. But typically... So that I, was based on the audience, you know, and they do these test screenings when they assign sort of a score to them, and, and it was low. It was in the 50s or 60s or something like that, which is a low number. And so that was the decision, I think, after that was made to, hey, we got to go back and we got to juice this up. And, you know, but I think that Miramax came away with this idea that where is all the blood? Where's all the gore? Where, like, these are the notes from the inner city audience. We're like, we want, you know, they think it's like Jason, you know, or they thought it was, they were expecting a movie to, to play like a, like a gory Friday the 13th or whatever kind of film. And, um, let, and, and that's not me, what we made. And, and anyway, but the Miramax is the ones who, who, it was Bob Weinstein in particular who said, I want blowout murders. I want gore. I want flying heads. Let's, yeah, let's explode uh, someone's head that just literally yeah. gets lifted up on a fuse box in a basement. All, yeah. That makes all total that, sense. All that ridiculousness was all on the whim of Bob. He ordered it, he demanded it, and that's what he got. 
Well, I always thought that that was Joe's kind of motif because he did it again in Phantoms, unless that was a Dimension uh, request. Probably. Well, I'm sure I think they were behind that as well. So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me if that that was the case that there were all this, you know, and I think also you have to remember, too, Joe had been courted right after we finished the first, you know, uh, version of Halloween 6 to go and help Dimension sort out the mess of Hellraiser 4. Yep. So coming off of that experience where everything was bloody and, you know, pinhead-esque, mm-hmm. he brought a lot of that vibe to the reshoots of Six. I remember even some of the dialogue I think he conjured up of um, like that kind of weird woman in the sanitarium, oh. like, oh, he walks amongst us and all this, like, pinhead kind of dialogue. Like, it was that was all coming off of the you know, whatever experience he had of, of, of shooting all of this new material for Hellraiser. So I, I just felt like he was bringing that sensibility to this, you know, kind of revised version of our movie. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is, what are we doing here? This is, this is, this has got to go back to being classically scary. And I, well, no, we already tried that and it didn't work. But I'm like, yeah, but it, you didn't do it right. <laughs> you know, I can fix that. Let, um, let me ask this. So, yeah. it, it, it feels like, you know, at least, at least the producer's cut, the way it plays, is is meant for more of a Halloween-based audience versus a big audience, like just casual audience member. Do you mm-hmm. think if they would have got a more sophisticated horror-based test audience that understood what you guys were trying to do, even though that cut's not perfect, do you think that it would have been received better? I mean, slightly better, but I don't know. I, I just, I, I mean, my gut instinct after I saw it, you know, the first time um, was, was just like, whoa, like, why did you guys drop the ball on this? Like, did it, it just didn't work. You know, all the suspense was kind of like, just not, just everything, it was like slam, bam, thank you, man. Like everything, people walk into a room and they're dead. They walk out of a room, they're dead. There was no build to any of it. And it, it's kind of like 2018, like everybody was getting stabbed all over the place with no building. Yeah, Sorry, that's that's yeah. that's my opinion, but I just don't think it's it's the way to do. You know, I'm more of a slow burn horror kind Me of too. mentality. I would prefer a lot more kind of stalking and you know a little more cat and mouse to the whole yep. thing. And, and all too. the cat and mouse stuff I wrote ended up not even honestly not even being shot. Yeah. So uh, that was really disappointing. I just envisioned things being more milked for lack of a better word um just i agree i i, 100%. Moment, I, I mean to, to, if i can illustrate one i, I, re, I remember um the, the scene i told you was kind of my homage to when a stranger calls and kills you know poor beth in the window um and it's kind of that rear window kind of you know with the camera looking into the window and it's Kara and she's a kid and all of that I just imagine being a very slow building, methodical. He's behind her and we're moving up. You know, it's just milking the shit out of that sequence. And it all happens in, you know, 20 seconds. And even in the final version, because they didn't, have, they didn't shoot it, you know, the way it should have been shot. And they just, you know, put it in slow motion or something like that. And just right. to try to extend the footage they had. And, and it's just so disappointing, you know, when you know that it was conceived to be this big set piece of suspense. Um, yeah. And um, I remember there was even a reference in the script, if I recall, where he's, he's already killed the girl and then it's Kara's looking at out the window and then he was going to look right at her. Yeah. And pull the, pull the uh, blinds and pull down. The, and pull the blinds down. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's like, that's Michael Myers scary shit. Like that he, 
he's not just this monster that's just walking into rooms and stabbing teenagers. He's like fucking with them, you know, like come and come over here. Let's play. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. That that boogeyman thing of where he's manipulating things, you know, like he put the sheet on his head and the glasses, you know, all that kind of almost childlike shit that he was doing in the first movie was that vibe that I was trying to bring back. Well, I'll tell you there there was an ending that I read that I think would have would have been amazing. Um, now there's there's been some other endings, but there's an ending that you wrote. Uh, maybe you can confirm or de- deny this. This would have been more along the lines of Halloween Four, where okay. uh, Donald or Donald Doctor Loomis comes back in instead of doing the whole switcheroo like the Scooby Doo ending. Uh, mm-hmm. Him yeah. <laughs> walking in, and Danny is standing over Kara, who's bloody, and he has the baby, and then he starts letting out a scream, just like in Halloween yeah. 4. That yeah, yeah. would have been, whoa. Yep. 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 Did you write that? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Why mm-hmm. didn't they go with that ending? That that would have been so much better. You want to know why? I yeah. remember why. Because the note that I got from an unnamed producer was, we are not ending this movie in the toilet. Well, I, I, well, I, I... <laughs> and that was because I brought it back to the bus station from the opening part of the movie where Jamie goes to the bus station and hides in the, in the, in the ladies room and escapes through the window and all that jazz. So I wanted to end the movie there and unnamed producer said, we are not ending the movie in a toilet. Can I, can I insert something here and just say, um, this is the way I believe in, in, in scripts or movies or what have you is the last mm-hmm. three minutes, the ending rests on the beginning. Of course. And the, and the beginning Always. rests on the end. So the fact yep. that you took it back full circle to, to bring it back mm-hmm. to that bus station, mm-hmm. that would have, that would have left me a lot more satisfied than, you know, well, either cut that like we got. It's, it's bookending your movie. It's taking yep. what you, you know, and it's, you know, there, and, and listen, there are so many movies that do it and do it well. And I just wanted to do my version of that. But apparently, according to this producer, you do not end movies in toilets. So, hence. <laughs> well, they, they ended my, up doing yeah, it in a whole new way. I was, I, was, I was schooled by a great, you know, producer to tell me that that's not how you can you end a movie. In fact, I was, it was suggested many times that we end the movie with everybody getting on a train bound to somewhere, you know, unknown because we could get a beautiful tra- uh, crane shot of a train leaving town. I'm like, that sounds great in a medical drama, TV movie, Hobo's Christmas, whatever you want to call that you've made here in Salt Lake City. It's the Polar but Express ending. The Polar Express. There you go. I, I didn't want to do the Polar Express ending, uh, but that's, that sounds like a beautiful shot. But this is Halloween. And it exactly. should be gritty, and it should feel real, and it should feel horrible and scary and whether it's in a toilet or <laughs> in a, you know, whatever, a factory, it's still scary because, oh my God, the unthinkable has happened. What's going to happen next? I mean, but they, they, what we they got be- were, you know, the power of the runes, which I don't know what the hell that was. And then they beat him it. with a lead pipe and then filled him with and green then beat shit. Him with a lead pipe. It was almost like, uh, it's like playing a game of clue. Wasn't it? You know, like they kill, you killed him in the lead pipe in the, in the, in the laboratory. Yeah, it was. I I don't know what the hell they were trying to do, but anyway, I stood there um, while they were shooting that stuff, and I was like, "What is this? I don't know. What is this? What's going on? What's the, what? What movie are we making today?" Yeah, that so, that last. Do you remember minutes. that was the one time, the one time where the the first AD, who was very loyal to our director, which was his job, 
um, pulled me aside and said, if you don't stop, you're going to be asked to leave. Mm. But I also felt a weird responsibility to the Akkads because they weren't there. You know, they weren't present to see what was being done. And I remember feeling, you know, loyalty to them because, you know, they're the ones who gave me the job and they gave me the opportunity. And I was the one, you know, holdover from that camp. You know, I don't think the Miramax people knew quite how much I was loyal to them, but they, you know, didn't disallow me from coming to the set. And, they, and the reshoots were all done in Los Angeles, so it was easy to just drive over there. Um, Did you talk to Joe wasn't... at all during that time? Were, were you still cool yeah. with him? Yeah, I mean, I think he wasn't. I think he was over me, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I think he just wanted to do what he felt like he wanted to do and didn't want any input at that point. And, and I was critical of the producer's cut. And I was like, what, this, you guys didn't do the movie, you know, like, where's the movie? And so I think he felt like I was already being critical of his work. And I think he felt like I was attacking him in a way, but personally attacking him. And I wasn't, I was like, listen, how do we, how do we make this better? What can I do? What pages can I write for you that will make it, something that we can go do and make it good. Um, but he just, I felt like he was just on this different path, you know, whether it was because he was, you know, being courted by the Miramax people, we're going to make a big career for you. Or I had just come off this Hellraiser thing. Oh, that was pretty cool. And I really liked doing all those weird effects. Um, I don't know what it was, but we're, there was definitely a disconnect between yeah. us um, um and it, the one who who called it out more than i did was paul rudd he just didn't fucking want to be there yeah that, I, i'm actually gonna we... get to that i'm actually yeah. gonna get to that um yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's let me just move on here and say uh donald pleasance passes away february 2nd mm -hmm. 1995 shortly after okay. surgery due to congestive Horrible. heart failure where were you when you got this news and did you talk with your any of your other friends from set or cast about his passing? Uh, I was at home. It was the morning and I woke up and the news, I don't know if it was on the news or if it was somebody called me and I'm sure I talked to Malik that day and I'm sure I talked to, you know, anybody that I needed to talk to about it. And, you know, cause obviously we were, we weren't ready to do reshoots yet, but we weren't, we knew that something needed to be done. And we obviously all went into this mode of like, Oh boy. Now, if things weren't complicated before, boy, do we have a problem? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously yeah. feeling the first before any of that, just feeling that, you know, incredible loss, you know, like, and, and, and just, you know, he was a legend and he was just, you know, the fact that I got to write that last Halloween for him was something I'll never forget. And, and the fact that I, was in his presence with <laughs> something that I will always uh, just remember with such fondness and, and that little twinkle in his eye. And um, do you, um, that just, you know, we all, we all missed him. We all felt a, a tremendous sense of sadness. Actually, you know, who I do remember speaking to not, not long after was Deborah Hill. Um, really? We, yeah. Yeah. We, we, she, she was always one who was never involved, obviously in, in any capacity but i will tell you that she was always kind of a bit on the sidelines of it all you know mm -hmm. and if i needed to ask a question about something she would answer me and she would be i want them to make you know six and i mean seven and eight and all you know and of course now they have but you know she she called to congratulate me on getting the assignment to do it 
So wow. she was always, she was always very um, supportive, and I think she understood you know new talent. You know, and, and she looked at those sequels um, as more of like, oh, th- these these movies are opportunities for new people to to show their stuff. And um, so she always supported that, and she was she was n- never anything but generous and nice. Well, had now this this question here is probably a little bit off the beaten path, but it's it's still important. Had Miramax already ordered the reshoots on the film prior to Donald's passing, or was it afterward that they said, "Well, now he's out of the way. Let's go ahead and do what we want to do." Thanks for listening to Halloween Unleashed, featuring the cutting room floor. Be sure to follow us at anchor.fm slash Halloween Unleashed and on our official Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash Halloween Unleashed. For all video versions of the cutting room floor, please visit youtube.com slash user slash DylanCloud97 and subscribe. Be sure to share our episodes on social media and we'll be back next week with an all new episode. 